Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Extreming Disney, the podcast focused on all things Disney+. Plus. On this week's episode, it's a viewer's choice. So, um, not a viewer's choice. Actually, I'm going to start all over. Hold on a second. <laughs> well. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Extreming Disney, the podcast focused on all things Disney+. Plus. On this week's show, it's a special guest choice episode where we get to talk about a movie or something that's just of interest of my guest for the week. Um, that will be Cody Gibson later on as we talk about Beauty and the Beast. But of course, I'm also here to talk about the Falcon and Winter Soldier series finale or season finale. Um, and so that's a that's a big highlight of this past week. And so, of course, I had to bring on my MCU finale gal, um, Devin. Devin is here. Thanks for coming back on, Devin. Thanks for having me back. I, I am going to put that on a business card, MCU finale gal. <laughs> you like that? Yeah, I'm going to pass that out to people. Yeah, you know, you'll, you'll get on more podcasts that way. <laughs> you know? So what are you up to? How are you doing? I'm good. You know, I'm uh, I'm keeping busy. Oniana for Equality stuff is ramping up. Um, keeping me pretty busy with that. Work, still busy. Um, and yeah, that's that's about it. And nice to have some nice weather, be able to get outside some more. And uh, yeah, how about yourself? Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to get a. There's still sometimes a little bit of a nip in the air. Yeah. But man, um, it's today was a beautiful day, mm-hmm. and um, I definitely am enjoying that. We're kind of getting to the end of the the school year, so my work is, you know, kind of amping up, and that'll be kind of slow um, mm-hmm. after that. And yeah, we're just I'm I'm kind of been working on some furniture stuff, and as far as like moving and still trying to get our house in order, and thinking about the man cave and trying to get this all situated so very yeah exciting stuff. yeah we're also like we're in the middle of kind of a renovation project where we're, we're switching our bedroom for my like it's like our guest room slash it's been my home office for the last year mm-hmm. um and we're switching those two rooms and we're like redoing the floors and stuff so my desk right now is like out in the living room while we're moving stuff around but it'll be good it's just, it seems like it's, it's never ending. It's always just like, okay, now there's this and then there's this. Yeah. It's like, we're still moving into our house. We've lived here for three years, but we're still like getting set up and everything. Totally. Totally. So good fun stuff, you know, good adulting right here. Hashtag adulting. Absolutely. So with that, you know, let's, let's get into Falcon and Winter Soldier. You know, as always, I don't have you come on until the very end, apparently. And you're, so I, I, I need to know, what have you thought, what have, what have your thoughts have been in regards to this series as a whole? I was pleasantly surprised with where it went. I was not optimistic in the beginning, I will admit. Um, from the, from the get-go, WandaVision was going to be a really tough act to follow, and I knew that it wasn't going to be WandaVision again, and I already disliked it for that. Um, I think it it had a great disservice by coming on the heels of WandaVision. Um, but the first two episodes, I was honestly not really that into. I was like, they're okay, but especially coming off of WandaVision, they're just like really bland. Like, yeah, it's fighting stuff it's fine it's fine it's catch Um, up it's fighting stuff yeah totally go on yeah um but then it started picking up and i was like all right they're doing some more interesting things this is getting a bit better and i was pretty intrigued by the finale i was like i i liked the finale a lot um i think that this is 
a show that ended up ask uh, it, it made a lot of statements and it mm -hmm. asked a lot of questions um and i like that about it i'm still trying to sort through and process like what exactly the statements are that it's making. I'm like, that's making a statement, but I can't tell exactly what that statement is all the time. Sure. Um, but, you know, I think it, it ended up asking a lot of, a lot of the same questions that I think many of us have been asking ourselves this year in the last few years, you know, like what is a terrorist? What is a refugee? What is a patriot? You know, right. what does it mean to be an American? Um, who who are people willing to accept as a representative of America? Right. Um, you know, what's power? How can you, at, at what point does the end justify the means? Can you separate intention from outcome? Like a lot of, a lot of stuff. There's a lot of, a lot of small things, you know? Yeah, like, you know, just small, <laughs> inconse like inconsequential. Uh, no, yeah, I agree. I, I honestly, it's not what I expected in that regard. Yeah. I was expecting more of like a a buddy cop show to some yeah. degree. And then, I mean, I don't know why I would think that when it's the MCU and they always, or they seem to be really moving into interesting conversation mm -hmm. things, you know, whether it's their movies or it's their television shows, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think um, I was, I was genuine. It's not what I expected at first. And I was totally here for it because honestly, this was the show that I was looking forward to the most of the MCU shows mm -hmm. just because the Captain America movies have been my favorites, I think. Mm -hmm. And so I've just been so like excited about this movie, and, you know, just because I, I loved Bucky, you know, kind of in mm -hmm. Civil War and with the um, first Avenger. And then I loved Sam in um, Winter Soldier, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I was just so ready for this show, you know? And, mm -hmm. And I, again, I, I agree with you. I think the first two episodes were kind of a slow start for me, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. but then it really peaked in episodes three and four. Yeah. You know, and um, and then in episode five, I was like, eh, okay, a lot of kind of getting things ready for the finale. Mm -hmm. And then here we are. We just got done with the finale. And there's a there's a lot to kind of go over with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, I agree. At first, I thought it was going to be more of like a buddy cop kind of thing, which I, I can get into or not. I This this wasn't particularly when I was super excited for it to begin with. Captain America is not one of my favorite Avenger characters. He's fine. He's okay. I The Captain America movies are very good, but um, as a character, he's not one I've been particularly drawn to. And then mm -hmm. Sam and Bucky are like, you know, the side characters from the Avenger that I'm the least interested in. So I'm like, I don't really know. Um, not that I don't like them, but I'm just like, that's not really where most of my attention goes when I'm watching Avengers. Um, sure. But yeah, in the, the first couple of episodes, we see a lot of these, like, you know, they have this like uh, kind of rivalry, a lot of like banter that's kind of funny, but it was kind of like this really like bro y kind of thing that I was like, I don't think I'm who this is for. <laughs> um, but uh it got better as it went on and then in in uh in episode five i think when there's like the montage of sam like training and like doing flips and stuff and like getting ready to be captain america i was like all right i think i'm more who this is for <laughs> um but yeah it um it, it it ramped up yeah yeah and i i think i i was so excited to get this episode going just because like there was just so much anticipation and so much build up, mm -hmm. you know, and we're kind of 
how where everything is the cliffhanger of how it's left off in the last week's episode. Mm-hmm. Like we we kind of knew it wasn't going to end with like, well, here we go, kind of meander a little bit <laughs> into the finale. It was like, you know, boots are on the ground. We're going, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we're going right into the action. And, you know, honestly, the, the action kind of carried through you know, throughout the whole episode. If mm-hmm. the last episode was mostly talking, mm-hmm. this one had a lot of stuff that was going on, mm-hmm. which I think is is good, you know, and I do have my qualms a little bit with this episode, just, I guess, some small things, but I definitely, I think if I was to compare this to the WandaVision finale, I think I liked this finale more, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately. I think, mm-hmm. I, I, I think from our conversation around WandaVision um, about a month or so ago, I kind of felt like it was by the numbers. I kind of felt like it was a little predictable. It was a little safe. And Mm -hmm. there was a couple parts that I was kind of like, oh, that's interesting and cool. Mm -hmm. But overall, I felt like I was just through this whole ride. I really enjoyed. Yeah. Apart from a couple things, which I'm sure we'll get into. So so it kind of, yeah, like it starts off with the, you know, we have Bucky and Sam and Sharon's there um, ready to face Carly and, we get to see, let's first talk about this. We get to see Sam in um, the new Cap costume, which I don't know if you're a fan of. I know there's a lot of people who are going back and forth online and saying how they feel about it, but I liked it. I liked the look of his Captain America costume. Yeah, it, it, it was pretty cool. I like it. Um, I don't understand the logic of having just his had the top of his head exposed. I understand that that's the design from the comics. I, I don't understand how that's desirable in any way. My um, my friend I watched with, he said the same exact thing. But go <laughs> like, who, who is that helping? Yeah. Um, but other than that, yeah, yeah, I think I think it looks cool. Yeah, I think you know, I I guess they want he wanted they wanted him to have. I guess you're right. It is like from the comics. also keep some of the look with falcon because i know like yeah he will just kind of wear the goggles so maybe they just i don't know but you're mm-hmm. right i think i think everything from the neck down looks <laughs> awesome yeah. yeah sure with with the wings and the shield and oh yeah oh, i i know some people are like you're gonna take you know a black character and put him in a white costume but i think it really contrast is really mm-hmm. just like you see you see him on the screen and it's mm-hmm. just bam, he stands out, and it's just mm-hmm. bright and great. I just, I think he looks awesome, and I was, <laughs> I cheered when when we finally got to see him in the costume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. It was a it was a heck of an entrance too, like the way the way that was shot and everything. I also like um, when he's when you know he he, he he comes blasting in through the window and he does this like roll thing and he gets up and this guy's like who are you? And he's like, I'm Captain America. But it wasn't, it, the the way that line was delivered was kind of almost offhand. It wasn't like this big heroic moment of like, I'm Captain America. You know, it was yeah. just kind of like a, it was like a, obviously you should know this. It was like, I'm Captain America. Now I'm, I need to get back to like what I'm doing. Yes. Um, I kind of liked that. He, he wasn't like center screen posing. You know what I mean? It was just like, yeah, yeah, doing, exactly. It was just job. like, yes. And I think I think part of the reason I like that so much is because nobody made him Captain America. He like took off that mantle himself. Yeah. And so that's him like owning it and saying it as if it should be a, an assumption. Like yeah. I'm Captain America. That's just who I am. Not like, you know, when we first see um, 
John Walker, it's, you know, this big announcement of like, it's Captain America, da, 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 you know, yeah. um, with all the fanfare and stuff. This isn't that. It's like specifically drawing a distinction against that as mm -hmm. like, this is just who I am, you know? Yeah. And I love it. I love that this series is really about handing off that mantle because, you know, I've talked about this before. This series, there's another character that we never see and it is Steve. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so much conversation and so much talk about who Steve was and what he was about and what made him just, you know, different from everybody else. But then as the series kind of goes on, and especially in this episode, I feel like that's less of a question and we're just ready to go, yep, Sam is Captain America, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. and it's understandable and it's believable and it's what Steve wanted, you know what I mean? And I think it, I think it really is very well done yeah. in that regards. And I, and I appreciate the show for that because we get to really watch. We don't just have a couple hours within a movie to really talk and, and figure that out in a big action movie. We have episodes to really wrestle and work through that, you know, for the mm -hmm. characters that are involved, you know, primarily Sam, but also Bucky, you know. Right. Um, what do you think of the, the addition of uh, bringing Batroc back into the episode and the fight between him and Sam? It was fine. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. It was fine. I'm I'm glad they brought him back because I only thought he was going to be in the first episode, mm -hmm. and I'm glad they they brought him back to be somebody to kind of face off. But I am a little disappointed that in the end of the episode, he got killed. You know, I wasn't overly attached to him. I wasn't like missing him. Like oh, I hope they bring him back. I don't know. I didn't really think about him. I kind of just want a character. I want characters like him who are n these mid-level villains that pop up, and you're like, "Oh, you know," you kind of have to see maybe a different hero face off against them. Uh -huh. but know that he's not necessarily the big bad. You right. know what I mean? Right. So I think this is kind of interesting, and I think um, George Baptiste is is a very interesting um, guy. You know, because being a UFC fighter, and you know, he brings choreography into it, and. I just think he's kind of interesting to watch on the screen, you know? Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and, and Batroc is such a campy, silly comic book character. To see somebody who's kind of B.A. Mm. is kind of nice to kind of make the character somewhat cool. I don't know. But, yeah, I thought that was fine. Um, let, shall we talk about Bucky and, and Carly here and as, as they're kind of facing off a little bit, too? Sure. So what have, what have your thoughts been about Carly? And because I know this is the first time that we can re we've really talked about it. Oh, I've got so many thoughts about Carly. Carly is one of the most complex and fascinating bad guys that I've probably ever seen. And I like because she, she's definitely a bad guy. Like she's killed people. She's definitely like I consider her a terrorist. She's not good but they managed to make her really sympathetic in moments um and i i love me a sympathetic villain like give me that any day that's a polarizing stance a lot of people prefer very like clear-cut good guys and bad guys right um but they characterized her in a way that you almost never get to see villains characterized and really got into um you know her motivations and who she is and make you make you want to like her and then she'll like you know set a truck full of people on fire and you'd be like oh right she's a bad guy um but yeah she's it, it was a risky move but i think very rewarding yeah i think it's i think she's really fascinating and really cool mm -hmm. and i i think another thing in which i'm disappointed with 
um, you know, I see, I, I don't want to be the type of person who's like, you know, if I got to write the show, <laughs> this is what I would do. But I was a little disappointed that two of the villains that we kind of had within this show, okay, we have one there, but I wanted to see one more of them kind of continue on as a villain on the raft, you know, kind of in prison with Zemo, maybe a possibility of, you know, ha- let's have all these villains kind of together here. You know, mm-hmm. that could be an interesting thing to kind of lead into a big epic, I don't know, um, villain team up, you know? Right, right. And so I, I kind of would have maybe thought it would have been interesting for her to, to live, you know, or for maybe Walker to show up there. But mm-hmm. but we'll talk about Walker as well soon because we got we definitely got some things to say about about um him but yeah you know it's i i think she i don't know i liked her in all the episodes that we saw her in you know and Mm -hmm. where she's really she's having conversations with sam she's having conversations um a little bit with bucky but this it was kind of like full tilt villain i'm trying to do what i need to do Mm -hmm. with not as much character stuff apart from like sam talking about her at the end of the episode to the grc you know right although in the moments where she does like um one of the uh interesting lines of hers when it like toward the end and i i guess we'll get there later but when she's talking to sharon and like they draw a distinction between her and other villains in that conversation with sharon when she says you wanted to control a world that hurt you, but I wanted to change it. I'm not interested in power or an empire. I have bigger dreams. And you see that very like almost idealistic, mm-hmm. um, you know, she's she's not in it for, for power or anything like that. Like she wants to change the world in a, in a way that she thinks would be, would help people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, I love, I like that. Cause like you said, she's sympathetic and she's misguided. Yeah. You know, and just because it's like I think her her ambitions are good, you know, and understandable and needed. Mm-hmm. But again, yeah, you're right. She's as Sam pointed out, and as you're pointing out, yeah, you're you're a terrorist. You're killing people. Yeah, and you know, Zemo Zemo uh, defined it correctly when he says she's been rad- radicalized, and that's also I think a very um, you know, something I've spent a lot, a lot of time thinking about this year is about radicalization. And I think that's something that a lot of people have uh, encountered in, in so, some of them in people that they know. But, um, you know, we've seen this happen a lot uh, with people being radicalized. And so this being kind of a comment on that and talking about like, is that person redeemable? Can you bring them back? You see Sam over and over trying to trying to help her. Like he said, like in his fight scene with her toward the end of the episode, like he doesn't want to fight her. He's saying, right. I can help you. I don't want to fight you. Um, he, you know, he's trying to bring her back from that. So I'm I'm seeing I'm seeing the real villain here being like the radicalization that took this idealistic woman who wants to help people and made her a terrorist. Uh my question there is who or what radicalized her um because there's not really anything to point to to be like that's the thing that radicalized her you know um right like what was the tipping point what was the situation of yeah of, you're like, like was there being forced out or something as a refugee yeah or like was there was there another group that was like using her like was she really the the leader or the um, creator of this movement, or was there anybody else who was like using her um, 
as some sort of pawn and like basically radicalized her uh, to become that violent, you know, yeah. um, maybe Sharon, well, I guess. Well, I was going to say, let's look at that <laughs> as a segue to talk about Sharon. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it finally gets confirmed in this episode that Sharon mm-hmm. is the power broker, which is, mm-hmm. was kind of be, to be expected, you know, as from what we saw earlier this season. Um, so it wasn't as much of a surprise to me. I was like, maybe at this point I'll be surprised if she's not the power broker. Yeah, you know, I am. Um, I didn't. I actually didn't see that coming. Uh, but to be fair, I was not paying a great deal of attention to the power broker stuff because um, mm-hmm. it was not really that interesting to me at first. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, like when it was like Sharon's power broker, I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and then, like af- after I watched it, I listened to your your previous episode where you were like, well, Sharon's obviously the power broker. I- anybody can see that, and I was like, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. You have to be an idiot not to see that coming. I, I liked Sharon in this series. I liked her action, especially when she's like kicking butt in the, we're in that like shipyard thing area that they were in with all the um, shipping <coughs> containers. Yeah. But I, a part of me is still like, I, I, I don't know if I like this direction with her kind of breaking bad a little bit where yeah. it's, it's just, I, I, I don't, I don't see it necessarily. I, I, or, I, maybe I need Marvel to kind of still kind of prove it to me in regards to this being a believable outcome for this character because she was so good you know and, and Winter Soldier is my favorite MCU movie and she is awesome in that you know and she's like yeah. she's with Cap all the way and doing good and then I'm just watching this and I'm like well now she is basically Hydra you know what I mean to some yeah. degree yeah I had kind of the same thing I saw her in this and I was like um I'm not sure if I'm like buying her in this role I don't know it seems forced in my it, in does, my it does yeah so but you know it's, it doesn't leave things in an interesting place you know and maybe you know i part of me is kind of like i guess i know what i i know marvel's doing does good i, I should trust them maybe yeah. but you still have to prove to me that this is the the most logical way for this character to go yeah yeah you know so we'll, we'll see what happens there but yeah, that was that was an interesting face-off between her and Carly, and mm-hmm. you know, and, and um, you get the sense that you know the power broker in the comics is kind of just gives these characters, these goons, powers in order to be to be mercenaries or to be used mm-hmm. by the power broker, and mm-hmm. it'll be kind of interesting to see if you know Sharon kind of takes that on more and more, you know, moving forward, especially mm-hmm. now that she has. Um, uh, forgiven by the by the government or whatever and she's back yeah yeah and that's what, like like what i would like to know and i don't know if we will ever know this at this point but like i want to know who carly was before she met sharon and became a super soldier and everything like um you know did sharon did sharon basically radicalize her and make her violent you know they also talk about the this super soldier serum making people more violent but also just making people more of who they already are so you know i don't know i would love i would be super interested to see some sort of origin story movie about carly i would watch the heck out of that yeah that would be cool i mean it'd be it would even be cool to have like a three episode series or something you know what i mean like a little mini series on disney plus kind of just leading up to you know what happened with Sharon and what happened to Carly mm-hmm. where they intersect and maybe a, an underworld Madripoor series I would be so here yeah that. I would watch that yeah and yeah something to bridge that gap but bet- of of showing Sharon in the interim and like you know 
showing her becoming this character rather than just like she's this character and now she's this totally different character. Right. <laughs> Seeing right. that transition would be good. Yeah. Yeah. So you were talking about the how the powers, you know, the super soldier serum just accentuate what's already there. Mm-hmm. Um let's let's talk about Walker. Yeah. Um I don't know what this is another area for me with this episode. I was a little bit surprised on where they went with his with his arc within this episode. Mm-hmm. And again, this is another area where I'm not necessarily fully convinced, you know, mm-hmm. based upon things that happened previously in this season, you know, because I'm I'm a little I'm a little frustrated. And I don't know if the <laughs> series is trying to make a statement on this or not, but it seems pretty fairly um, irredeemable to after killing a man in the way that he did with cap shield Mm -hmm. to be able to be like all right well now you're no longer captain america but you're a u.s agent and you know i i do appreciate a redemption arc where he's has that moment where he's like oh do i go and chase down carly to get my revenge or do i save these people you know i do appreciate that Mm -hmm. But I, I, I don't know. Give me, give me your thoughts. What do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, um, and I, I, I also, I don't, well, I don't think it's the same people stripping him of the Captain America title. They're giving him the U.S. agent title because we've got, um, you know, what's her name? Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who's got her own whole thing going on, right. um, who's, who's doing that. But uh, yeah, he's he's a super interesting character to me throughout throughout the series. Um, played brilliantly by Wyatt Russell, who I just learned was the son of Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. Did you know that? Yes, isn't that wild? Yes, I <laughs> my love brother it. just told me that the other day, and I was like, "What?" And then and then I looked at him, and I was like, "Oh no, I totally see it." Um, but yeah, he clearly inherited some acting chops from them because I think he's just brilliant in this, um, and you can really see the emotional shifts in a lot of those in a lot of moments where, you know, mm-hmm. you, there's moments where he seems really like, especially in the beginning, like before he really starts doing things. Um, but, yeah. he, you know, you can see this very like genuine, nice guy kind of moments. And then he goes totally off <laughs> off the rocker. Um, but to me, his whole character is a statement on toxic masculinity, which is another uh, topic I'm super interested in and just can see so much of that uh in in his character you know he's constantly struggling with his ego and a power complex yes. um i i found it notable that he takes the super soldier serum after his fight with the dora milaje where he gets just his absolute ass handed to him by a group of black women which was just so so satisfying right um but you can see how emasculated he feels by that and he's like they weren't even super soldiers and he and and then after that is when he takes that because he's just like you know i need to have the upper hand in every fight yeah yeah um but you know and and you talked about this in your previous episode too but like he's he's a product of america like when he's at his hearing when they strip away his title and he's like he gets so angry and he's like you created me i'm just doing what you wanted like i'm 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 what you made me um and uh yeah the 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 scene where he kills um i forget his name right uh, the guy the guy that he kills and you have that you know the the hero shot of him with the blood covered shield like that's a 
that whole shot was a statement, like a oh, yeah. all caps statement. Um, so, yeah. so yeah. In this in this episode, like you said, we see him having to choose between revenge, going after Carly, and saving innocence by saving the truck, and he he makes the right decision in that. Uh, and and you can see too in his acting like that moment where he's like he's looking at her and he's looking at the truck and he has that kind of like snap out of it moment and he's like battling with himself um, to try and to try and do what's right. So you yeah. see him kind of battling against like his nature. If if we're supposed to believe that the super soldier serum like accentuates what your nature is, I think he's kind of trying to battle against this nature that he has to be like violent and um like dominant yeah and trying to like put his ego aside to do what's right yeah yes i see i I, i'm with you i i've i've liked his performance a great deal i think he's awesome and in the moments where he's like you know he's kind of almost you could it's almost like a glitch or whatever he's just like snap out of it moments because there's a few of those throughout the season Mm -hmm. it's gonna be interesting to see that play out you know what i mean because it's like okay, which, what way is he going to go? I think at mm-hmm. any moment he can go any of one, two ways, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's going to be necessarily consistent. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think it's almost what, you know, um, Julia Louise Dreyfus is kind of banking on with this character right. a little bit, you know? She's, mm-hmm. She seems to be very um, influential in regards yeah. to setting him up to be, to be something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and, I think, yeah. and I think that she knows how to use his ego complex to manipulate him um you know in the first scene with her when she's basically like you know you didn't do anything wrong like i know that you did what you um needed to do and stuff like she would have done it too every one of them would have right she's she's playing into telling him what he wants to hear making him feel better about himself um and that's gonna make him like putty in her hands it's going to be interesting to see what happens moving forward. I, I will say this, though. I love his costume, too. I love the U.S. agent costume on him. It looks good. You know, yeah. it's, 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 it's going to be interesting to see where he shows up again and what they do with him mm-hmm. and really where Julia Louise Dreyfus shows up again. So because she's going to definitely be the new Nick Fury. Yeah. You know? So we'll see. We'll see. And there's a lot of speculation that maybe it's going to be the Dark Avengers. Maybe it'll be the Thunderbolts. You know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about one scene that I really loved. I thought it was just a really great action sequence. Was with Fal- was Falcon with the helicopters. Yeah. <laughs> and the the the, um, the woman in the back where he like she he works together and is he figures out that she's a pilot and yeah. I love that whole sequence. Yeah, that was cool. Oh man. Um. Any anything as far as the action sequences that really stood out to you? Um, that part was cool. I like, um, the part where we see, I think it was the helicopter before that. And he like uses his wings as a shield, like when the helicopter comes crashing down and he covers himself with the wings and like the shield, uh, it makes this little like bunker for himself. That was pretty neat. That was awesome. I do agree. Yeah. And there was some, there was another thing that he did with his wings too, that I thought was really cool. There was a point. I think he was fighting Carly towards the end and he puts the shields like into the the ground, into the floor. That's kind of like bracing himself. Oh yeah. Yeah. To yeah. Give him leverage. And I was just like, that is cool. Yeah. That was cool. Like, I love like seeing the wings, how he can use the shield and function as Captain America 
still being Falcon. Yeah. You know I mean? with, yeah, with yeah. His abilities and who's, who he is. And so I think that's just, it was super cool myself. <laughs> yeah. I like how, I like how he doesn't totally lose his Falconness. I was, I was telling my husband Chris about it and I'm like explaining it to him and he's like, wait, so is he two superheroes now? And I was like, well, sure. Just sure. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's Black Falcon. You know? <laughs> nah, that's yeah, Captain America. Why not both? Parkinolos does. Totally. Totally. You know, I, you know who I think had a little bit less to do as far as an emotional arc? I mean, through the beginning part of the episode and kind of the retroactive kind of the how things are finalized and where things are going after the major fight, Bucky kind of didn't have much to do, you know, apart from yeah. the emotional beats at the end is, that kind of is the capstone or the, the ending mm-hmm. part of his arc within this series. <laughs> capstone. Ah, you like that? Um, so what, what did you think of, of, of Bucky all in all? Um, yeah, Bucky was good. He's, I, for some reason, he's not a character that I get like super into. I don't really know what it is, um, mm. but he was all right. Um, I think that the way that they ended up his character, you know, making his final amends um, was, was pretty good and, and showing that like, uh, that idea that it, like he he had to kind of let go of that relationship that he had like I think he um you know he was so afraid to tell this guy that he he murdered his son which makes sense um but he had to kind of learn that it wasn't about him and that he needed to do what that guy needed to do to move on um so seeing him realizing that I think was good um you know I, I I thought of you so much in regards to this because it brought me back to our conversation around WandaVision where you said you wanted a moment where there was, you know, an asking of forgiveness or, you know, you know, that moment. And where, where Sam says, you know, you, you don't ask for an apology so that Mm -hmm. you feel better. You know, Mm -hmm. I was like, and that whole conversation from the week prior and then watching this scene as he goes to talk to this man, I thought of you because I was just like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're pointing that out and you were stating that. And then, in this series, we get to see that, that exact point, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I wish that we saw um, more of that conversation. You know, we get like the beginning of the conversation and then we cut right away from it and we don't actually get to see it. But, um, you know, we don't, we don't see him asking for forgiveness. Right. And I think that that's an important, uh, an important point there. Cause like I was saying with the one division episode, like forgiveness um, isn't about it's not about you. And that's what right. he's doing there is that it's not about him. It's not about like him needing this guy's forgiveness. It's about helping that guy move on. Yeah. Um, so I think that that was important. Yeah. And I, I think, I think you're right. Cause you know what? I think I, I would have want to see, I wanted to see that scene and I know it's kind of almost the opposite of what you were saying, but I wanted to see kind of an emotional conversation within this episode with Bucky similar to the conversation we had last week with Sam, which makes so much sense with his character. You know what I mean? So I just, I wanted to see something similar to that, you know, Mm -hmm. um, with Bucky where he's able to really, you know, see that conversation, like you said, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So shall shall we get to the big um, Sam moments? I mean, we get the, I think the very end where, you know, where, where you see him functioning as, captain america he's talking to the grc people you know he's on cameras and then obviously his conversation at the end 
with um, Isaiah Bradley, mm-hmm. which I, I think those were the, the pinnacle parts, you know, within this. Yeah. Um, yes. Okay. Well, what, what I'm, I'm going to kick it off to you. What did you think about the GRC conversation? Um, this was interesting. So yes, here we see, uh, Sam basically monologue for about four minutes, um, which is not something that we typically see. Um, it's, I think a bit heavy handed, but I also think that's kind of the point. Um, so, you know, he's finally got this platform and he's, he's going to be heard, which in itself, Mm -hmm. even is just a, a really powerful visual, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, seeing this black man standing up in the Captain America costume being like, listen, everybody, <laughs> shut up and hear what I have to say. Um, you know, that that was powerful. Um, yeah. And yeah, he's he's speaking truth to power. <laughs> um, you know, these senators are basically like, oh, thanks so much for defeating these terrorists. And he's like, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's talk uh, about this. Yeah. And uh it, you know, the, the details of everything are still kind of vague. Um, but the idea that he's saying, like, you need to listen to, you know. Take into consideration. And then, yeah, I, I think I wrote down some of the things that he said. You know, we all have a common struggle now. Yeah. Now I, you know how it feels to be mm-hmm. helpless, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have. I, I printed out a transcript of this part so I could reference it. Um, okay, go for it. Go for it. But yeah, so he says, you know, you you control the banks, you can move the borders, you can knock down a forest with an email, you can feed a million people with a phone call. But the question is, who's in the room with you when you make those decisions? Is it the people you're going to impact, or just more people like you? And that's like, that's such an important conversation that so many people are having right now. Yeah. Um, and he says, you know, this girl died trying to stop you and no one has stopped to ask why. Um, and and again, Carly's tactics were bad. Yes. <laughs> she did very bad things, um, but she was fighting for a cause that she believed in. And, you know, he said people believed in her cause so much that they helped her defy the strongest governments in the world. Like, why do you think that is? Um, and he's basically saying you have so much power and what are you gonna do with that? Um, <laughs> So, yeah, here's these senders here being like, oh, thank you, the day is saved. And then, like, the guy who saved them is going to, like, lecture them for a while now. And they're like, this is what's yeah. happening now. Um, I think I think the line that I really liked in there is, like, and this is me just loving superheroes for these things like this. The yeah. only power I have is that I believe we can do better. Oh, I love that, too. Oh, I thought that was so good. Yeah. Um, and you know, we can, and there's another thing we cannot demand people to do better without meeting them halfway, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I think like you, um, I think the, as far as like a cinematic standpoint, I feel like the, the scene went on a little bit too long, but again, I also think it's deserved yeah. you know, for this character, for the purposes of what he represents and what he's, what the showrunners are trying to say. Mm-hmm. I think it's deserved. I think yeah. though it might have gone a little bit too long, and like you said, a little heavy-handed. But I, 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 I can't give it too many deduct too many points in regards to that. I understand, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's important, you know. Yeah, and I, and I think that the, um, the importance and the weight of that moment is for, 
you know, they, they cut away to showing him on all the news screens. You see Isaiah watching him give that speech. That was the most impactful part of it for me, is seeing oh, yeah. Isaiah watching that happen. Um, and again, underlining the importance of like people being able to see that yeah. um, being really a huge thing. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's get to talking about Isaiah because this was the big emotional thing. I thought I was like, it was cool for this episode, but honestly, it was the last little bit with Isaiah in this in this episode. Yes. I was crying. Oh, especially same. when they take him to the Smithsonian. Same. Oh, oh my gosh. I, something gets me when it's when it's about like a person being honored. Mm-hmm. I always cry. You know <laughs> what I mean? Or getting recognition. Mm-hmm. I'm just like the end of white Christmas every year when the, the Colonel walks in and he's not expecting to be honored by his troops. I cry every time I ball. Like <laughs> this was a very similar thing. And to have this mm-hmm. man who had, who went unrecognized, mm-hmm. you know, and for yeah. Sam to use his position then mm-hmm. to lift him up and to let him be seen in the same place as captain America. Yeah. It was just, Devin, it was so good. <laughs> I completely agree. I completely agree. And I loved, and and so this is the last scene before we get that, you know, little montage of like the family cookout and stuff, but mm-hmm. to end, to basically end this um, season or series or however much of this we're going to have, but at least this season, um, to choose to use that moment to stress the importance of preserving and honoring black history was so powerful. Um, Cause that's, you know, it's not just about Isaiah there. Like it's like that to, to me watching that, that's a statement on, yeah, the importance of black history and teaching it and preserving it and like seeing how much it meant to Isaiah. And that moment was so powerful. And also seeing like, if that wasn't there, then once Isaiah died, that history would be gone. No one would ever right. know. And it's such an important part of that history. So I, I love that they chose to stress the importance of that. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Absolutely. You're right. You're right. And I, and I think and he also I, agrees. Yeah. He's, he makes an excellent point. Um, and I think, you know, another moment that I really loved with the scene with Isaiah is that moment when they're on the back, the backyard area and they're talking and, you know, you can still see there's some differences between Isaiah and Sam. Mm-hmm. And then there's this moment where Sam says something. I don't even remember what it said, what he said, but then Isaiah just looks at him with this, like this new look in his eyes and then he just goes, you almost got me there. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so you could see yeah. that, like, he yeah. is able to wax poetic. You know what I mean? He's able to be as inspirational, even as as Steve has been, mm-hmm. and able to capture and, and get people to, to land on hopefulness and believing that this world can be better and that our country mm-hmm. we can, can be better and people can be better. Mm-hmm. And he brings... Oh, you there? Oh, yeah. Sorry, you cut out for a second. Oh, I was just saying, I, I love that moment so much. Yeah, yeah. Um, so should we wrap this thing up, or do you have anything much else to say about this episode? Um, I had just a couple of other notes that I wanted to talk about. Sure. Um, one was just a quick thing. Um, the the exchange between Carly and John, where John shows up, and Carly's like, I'm sorry, 
I did like I didn't mean to kill your friend. And she says, I don't want to hurt people that don't matter. And he says, you don't think Lamar's life mattered. And that uh, to me evoked Black Lives Matter. Um, and I think I think I don't know if it was an intentional writing choice. I think it probably was, um, but just was a, a nod to that movement that I appreciated. I, I think <laughs> it might just be me reading into it, but maybe. I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, it feels like that that dialogue is just clunky enough that it wouldn't have been natural if they weren't trying to work it in there. Sure. Um, but that was just something I noticed. Um, and then the, the other thing I wanted to talk about was Carly's death, um, because that was something that we didn't talk about and I, I think was just really, really an interesting moment to me. Mm -hmm. um, because Carly, like we've talked about, is not not a hero by any stretch like she's a terror she's a bad guy but she gets a hero's death in this episode mm. and i found that so interesting so you know they're they're fighting like i said sam is saying let me help you he doesn't want to fight her he thinks that she can be saved um and when she gets shot sam runs to her and holds her and she has this really sad death you know she looks at him and she says i'm sorry and she dies and it's sad and sam is sad yeah. and i'm sad watching it and we're not usually sad when the bad guy gets killed right um and he you know he carries her out like cradling her body he's got this you've got these slow motion shots and the sad music like all the markers of like this tragic hero's death um for your villain and i thought that was such an interesting choice um and I'm still kind of unpacking like what that what that means, yeah. um, but I see it as kind of being a a moment of mourning for like her potential, like what she could have been um, had she not been radicalized or had she not chosen the path of violence or however you yeah. want to look at it, or like you know mourning for not be not having been able to save her um, yeah. or for this. Uh, you know, I, I idealist movement, like her ideas that that were good, but uh, you know, but she chose violent means to get there. You know, there's just a, a a very interesting scene. I thought. Yeah, and I think it really it it really brings a sympathy and an understanding. I think it really goes into that conversation, like that we talked about that Sam had with the folks. It, it honors her. It honors her cause. Yeah. You know, and the reason yeah. why she is doing what she was doing, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, we see that from the beginning of this, the series. We see Sam being like, wait, we got to, we got to think about this. We got to talk about this, you know, and, and really look into why they're doing what they're doing, you know? And so and I, I think you're right. It was a very beautiful moment that they gave to her and it was purposeful. And there was a reason I, I think we can look at it similarly as Michael B. Jordan's death in Black Panther. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and with the moment that um, that to, um, to call it to what T'Challa has with um, with Killmonger there at the mm -hmm. end, you know, it's just it was, yeah. and you get that line there where he says, you know, um, bury me at sea with my brothers, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's 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 a similar kind of thing where we see like a character who you understand why. Mm -hmm. You know, you understand why they're doing what they're doing. They might not take the best route into fixing the problem, mm -hmm. but you understand why. Yeah. And yeah. So like there, there are some villains that like they get defeated and you're like, yeah, they got defeated. And this was not that. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. It's going to be interesting to see where they go with this. Cause you know, I, I've, I've heard things like, okay, well the series is now going to be called Captain America and winter soldier, or are there going to, or is it going to be Falcon winter soldier season two? Is it going to be a captain America four movie? It's going to be, I've heard a lot of rumors going a lot of different ways and it's going to be interesting to see what kind of happens next. Yeah. You know, cause yeah. I think we're obviously going to see Sam in the, in these, these, um, these threads again, you know, the, mm-hmm. looking great as Captain America. Yeah. It's going to be like, when? When are we going to see this? <laughs> <You know>? When? <laughs> yeah. Right, right. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I, I think uh, the last thing I just want to mention, because I, I loved him in this um, season, is Zemo. I think Zemo uh-huh. has been awesome. Yeah. Um, I love Daniel Brühl as a character, as a villain especially. Mm-hmm. Um and you know he his his little butler chauffeur dude takes out the rest of the flag smashers, which yeah. totally makes sense by his motivations and what we've seen from him, mm-hmm. you know, through this series. Mm-hmm. So I like that. I was a little disappointed that he got captured and put in, you know, the raft in the last episode because I was like, oh, that means he's not going to be a player mm-hmm. in this last episode, you know. But they still managed to to bring him in there, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, Devin, all in all, if you were if you were to compare this to WandaVision, where where are you going? Which one do you put on top if you were to rank these two? The series as a whole? Series as a whole. WandaVision, absolutely. Yeah, I think I was I was genuinely surprised by WandaVision. Yeah. You know, and well, it was though so different. And though I was disappointed with the finale of WandaVision, I think it still edges out Falcon Winter Soldier. For yeah. Me. Same. But I, I'm pleased. I'm happy, you know. And and the the next one we got from the MCU in a, in about a month or so is going to be Loki. I'm excited you know? for that one. I'm excited for that. Can I can I admit something to you and the listeners? I don't necess- I don't get it. I don't get all <laughs> the fan love that that Loki gets. I think Tom Hiddleston is a great actor, but I just don't understand all the fanfare that he is. Be- he's been elevated to this. To this point as a character so i'm i i'm i'm admitting something that maybe i've been scared to admit to a lot of people but <laughs> i'm coming forward this is right. a safe space peter <laughs> um so this is like a series that i'm not looking forward to as much i mean hey i'm all for owen wilson showing up in something sure but i don't know i don't know yeah i don't know i'm not i'm not like a giant low-key tom hilston stan if you will um, I, I like him well enough. Um, I, I, but I'm not, yeah, he, he gets some very, very like rabid fans. Um, but I, I think that this show looks, looks funny and interesting and quirky enough that I'm really excited for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I have, I think we have a little bit more of an idea of what this is going to be going into it more so than we did with WandaVision. And yeah. maybe in a similar way, we'll be kind of pleasantly surprised. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows? Yeah. Well, Devin, thank you for coming on. You know, we, we talked for a while. We're getting near an hour here. Um, but we had a lot to talk about within this series. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for thanks for inviting me. Of course, of course. And um, listeners, stay tuned because um, just a little bit, we're going to be talking about the animated Beauty and the Beast. Um, from 1992 uh, or three, so stick around for my conversation my with ever. Cody Gibson. Are you excited? You're gonna listen to this part? <laughs> yeah, of course. And I, I, I want to say I was 90. 
94. Was it 94? Was it that late? It might have been three. Aladdin was 92. Maybe it was 93. Okay. I think. And then I think. I get the order. I think I get the order of the three mixed up between Aladdin, Lion King, and Beauty and the Beast. I think so, I think maybe Lion King was 94 and Pocahontas yeah. was 95. Because Beauty and the Beast, I think, was the first movie that I went to see in theaters when I was a baby. Oh, that's so great. I'm glad you got to add that before I get into <laughs> talking about um, Beauty and the Beast. Okay. Oh, that's one of my favorites ever. Well, enjoy. I'll definitely be listening. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And um, so, yeah, listeners, stay tuned because I'll be right back. All right, listeners, and we're back. Um, this is the second half of the show, and and here I am. We're last week we did a Disney animated film, one of my favorites, and this week I got to bring back onto a show a good friend of mine, Cody Gibson, to talk about one of his favorite animated cartoons, um, Beauty and the Beast. Hey, Cody, how's it going? It's going well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, again, you, of course, of course, I knew, yeah. You know what? The last time I had you on, we were we were talking Mulan, and I think it was the first time you've ever seen that. Yes, yeah, and and I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, yeah, but this one, this one is a, in particular a, a pretty chosen favorite for you, right? Yeah, I think that this is probably my probably my all time favorite Disney movie. Awesome, awesome! I can't I can't wait to hear exactly why. I mean, I'm sure you can um, go on a while and talking about it. I think I'll just first say. I grew up on this movie and I loved it. I, I had the VHS clamshell, you know, from <laughs> yep. classic Disney from our, from our day. And I just, I, this thing was a, on heavy rotation in my house. You know, um, I think not as much as, as 101 Dalmatians for me, but um, I think, you know, I think of this era, the Renaissance era of Disney, I have a hard time saying like thinking really about which one, for me is on top between like this movie aladdin and lion king but it's, aladdin it's is there. really good yeah i i love see i think i i love the comedy and the work of obviously robin williams and aladdin i think i love the epicness of um the lion king even to this day and just like the emotional beats within it yeah. and i think for me beauty and the beast is just a beautifully romantic movie you know, yeah. in which I think has a lot going for it, you know, but, but what, what is it for you? What is it that you love about this movie? So, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's a good story. I think it's done well. So I, I think that it's just a, a well done movie in general, because it kind of balances some of the, um, some of the things that people tend to not do well in movies. So, you know, sometimes you have a good movie and then just because they think that every movie needs a love story, they put a love story in, even though it doesn't fit or uh, they have a, you know, a good love story, but they just need to throw comedy in there and, you know, they don't do it well. So like all the things that this movie tries to do, it does well. So you have, um, the the love story you have the music that's very good mm-hmm. um, you have the comedy that all works well is not you know too over the top or you know just doesn't come off as being silly um, and then all of those things 
in the context of just a, a very good story, well animated, um, well voiced, um, and with enough in there for adults and kids that you can enjoy it together and you can come back now, I don't know, 20 years later and still enjoy it as much as you did when you were a kid. And that, you know, that's, it's a unique movie uh, that allows you to do something like that. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I like what you were saying. I mean, it really is a four quadrant film, you know, it, it, it balances all those elements very well you know, without feeling any part of it feeling forced. Yeah. And I I think you're right for sure. For sure. Well, I, you know, we can kind of really get into the story here and into the characters, um, you know, kind of as we work through the movie, Mm -hmm. but, you know, starting off, I thought one thing that I really like about this and kind of rewatching it um, just last night as well. I know you said you watched it last night. Um, I love that it has like classic Disney um, animation very early on with the, that first shot when we are, we can see the castle and it's the layered on animation as it kind of zooms in. Cause it's like a very classic style that Disney did even way back with like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs yeah. and the Pinocchio and Bambi. And we see that here and that leads into the mosaic stained glass kind of, um, prelog of the story and i like that element a lot yeah and i think that what that what that does is kind of draws you into the fantasy world and it does it very well with um you know like what you're talking about like with the stained glass pictures it's not animated it's just showing a little bit of snippets of things and um that draws you into a fantasy world yeah that you know yeah I had I had one sticking point with it that I, I had actually a little bit of a hard time with, and it had nothing. To, I don't think it had anything to do with the the really the movie itself. But I'm wondering, did you watch this on Disney Plus or did you watch it in some other form? So I did watch it on Disney Plus after an hour of trying to download Disney Plus onto a, a tablet because my wife was using the computer charger. Oh, okay, <laughs> nice. I I I'm wondering because I remember it on VHS. In that sequence when we know that the prince is turned into the beast and then it's, you know, he's, he's in his room and he's, and he has the, the rose and he just, just got done clawing the picture. Like on Disney plus, I feel like I see the beast, you know, and, and in the, in the VHS form, I felt like it was a little bit more shadowed. Mm. It was a little bit more of a silhouette. We didn't get the full picture of who he was. But with, I think, maybe the additions or maybe like fixing or whatever, or making things crisper or whatnot, it, he's way more pronounced and you can really see him. And I was just like, ah, I felt like it was more of a mystery to his look until we see him, you know, later on when he first meets Belle. You know what I mean? So I don't I, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like it was way more shadowed in the original you know when i saw it and you know i i can't say that i noticed that i mean it may just be that especially as you watched it that the the vhs got more worn and so it was a little bit darker or um tv settings but yeah i i that didn't specifically jump out to me i didn't notice that piece of it yeah, I don't know. Maybe I could be wrong. I could be wrong. And maybe you're right. It could be my particular VHS tape or whatnot. It was interesting. I was actually 
just got done watching about this thing in regards to um, The Godfather, the first movie, and how it was so dark and it was so shot just w- with one thing on the celluloids and how like it was to restore that and for like the blu-rays and whatnot it was a very tricky careful thing because there was only one shot at getting it and anyway that's a whole different story but anyway. <laughs> um anything else you want to kind of say about this introduction piece so i i, I guess in in general i just feel like fantasy is something that just really is evocative and and speaks to people. And I think that's one of the reasons that it's so popular. And Mm -hmm. so I think that the the, the fact that it is an introduction into uh, a fantasy world is, you know, is important. Um, just in in setting the the tone and the pace, because I think when any of us watch movies, there there's always uh, categorization that has to happen in our minds so that we um, can know whether we're watching this as like, oh, is this a historical fiction or is this a, an action movie? Because we just have different rules. Sure. For ourselves, you know, and so those things, um, those things set how much we suspend our disbelief. Oh, absolutely. And to start this, it gets us to suspend our disbelief and just be able to say, this is just a fantasy. Right. So then we're not distracted by those other things like, Oh, you know, is that action sequence realistic? You know, so we can just get to the story when you're, when you're dealing with fantasy. And and I think that that's one of the reasons why this story is so good because behind the just fun story, there's a lot that I think is hard to, to get in a movie because we're going to be, you know, shielding what's going on and you know be distracted by other things and so the fact that it is just a fantasy allows it to to kind of speak directly to us and scratch an itch i think of of something that we're all that we all long for and and the fact that in this movie they get it that's why it's so powerful yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's a real buy-in factor. You know, you it kind of sets you up in order to know where your suspension of disbelief starts and where it ends. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and this really brings us then, you know, into the title card, and then we get introduced to Belle. You know, and we get introduced to her and her character with this really awesome piece of music i love this song i love this scene what do you what do you think when you watch this part so i I think it's a great introduction you know i love musicals um obviously you and i disagree about some musicals um but uh i think that the the music is just fantastic I, i yeah i agree it's a wonderful opening sequence and it's a great introduction um to who Belle is. And it was interesting watching it because it has been a long time since I've watched it. And just being older, a little bit more grown up, it it was interesting to see the whole thing 
a little bit differently, maybe with yes. m- with more mature eyes. But yes. um, I I really I really do like the the opening sequence. What is it for you that you know that you like about the the opening sequence? I I really like the song. I I, I grew up. I was such a sucker for um, Disney sing-alongs, which were just like compilations of different music pieces from Disney films, and then it had the words on the bottom. Um, and this is one of the songs that I, I remember often in, in some of the VHSs that I had. And so I, I knew all the lyrics. I knew all the songs. I, I just, I think it is, it is so well written. I think it was Howard Ashman who, who wrote, did the music for this or one of the vocals. He was, um, there's an awesome documentary about him on Disney plus that came out last fall. I definitely like would recommend because just his story is incredible. Um, but it's the, the, the writing and it was just, you, we get to know who she is. We get to know how she ticks. Um, it's just, it really works as a, as a very good introduction to not only her, but also Gaston. But, um, and, and I would say also the entire, uh, thrust of the story. And this is something that I right. did. This is something I didn't catch before. I don't think I ever really realized until now I'm older watching it that, we're introduced to her and I think that the unique thing that we see in the song is that the whole town is looking at her. Yeah. Everyone is noticing her. Everyone is watching everything that she's doing. And so though everyone is seeing her, she's not actually seen for who she is. No one can see past the beauty. Right. And so what she needs that's set up in the song of, you know, that, you know, he won't, she won't discover it till it's, that it's him till chapter three, you know, what she needs, what she looks for, what what she is looking for is that someone will finally see her, not just her beauty. Yes. Yeah. That's really, that's really good. I I do have, I have one thing I just really want to point out though, because I didn't, really think about this until watching it this time as i'm like thinking about the lyrics part of me is like because i think when, when i watched this as a kid i was just like yeah Belle is just she is she is the best princess she's smart she's she's a reader she's she's um she just stands out i mean she's you know as a kid you know it's weird to say this about animation she's beautiful you know but um and in the lyrics i'm just wondering though is she a little conceited and stuck up when she's just like little town full of little people you know <laughs> this poor provincial town you know i just wondering if and like she rolls her eyes at the baker who's just like he's like marie the baguettes you know and and she's like oh he's like that's his livelihood you know yeah he, he's a baker you know so there's some parts where i watch it now and i'm like am i just maturing am i becoming more i don't know watching this in different eyes and i'm just wondering i mean is, is hmm. she a little stuck up i don't know and, and you know and maybe she is and maybe that's part of her her narrative arc that um you know that she changes too maybe yeah. um i yeah i haven't i hadn't thought about that uh about that before I, don't know. I was just, I was just wondering because I'm like I, I sometimes try to like all right if I'm just watching this for the first time now you know without like with all my sentimentalities that I have attached to it I'm just like I'm wondering I'm just trying to ask questions you know yeah. and hopefully my questions are not taking out the whimsy of the <laughs> enjoyment of the movie itself but I I just got to say I love this song 
I, I think it's one of my favorites. And I'm going to probably say that a bunch of times. I'm like, oh, this one's one of my favorites. Well, and I, I think that the, the very fact that you can say that is a, is a testament to exactly how well done the music is. So there's a couple of songs that maybe aren't, um, you know, amazing, but in, in the context of everything, they just, they just fit because it's, it's yeah. advan- ad- advancing the plot. And uh, so not everything needs to be stellar. It can, you know, mm-hmm. just fits and does the job. Well, but I think a lot of ahead. them, but a lot of the songs are, and that's the, you know, and that's yeah. the unique thing about the movie. Well, and what I like about and I didn't notice it until this time watching, and I don't know how many hundreds of times I've seen this movie, especially, you know, growing up, but the, the sequence where she's sitting on the fountain and she's with the sheep and whatnot, and she's like, and the, and the song kind of dips and it changes from what the, the rest of the song has been, because it's a little bit more uppity and yeah. this kind of mellows out. And I just realized, I was like, this is the same part of the song for when she later on, when she's out having the snowball fight. Yeah, the new these. but a bit alarming is that yes. one. But then, yeah, it's the same the same melody. And I, I don't remember what the words are. Right. In and the, and, in I, the and beginning, I was but... just like, it, it stood out to me. I was just like, oh, my gosh. I mean, this is a direct tie in to that moment, you and, know, and it's and, so cool. And I think that that's another thing that, you know, musicals. That, that I like about musicals is that, the, you know, the, the recurring themes that happen and, you know, there's recurring themes in story and then there's the recurring themes in the music and then they're able to tie those uh, things together with that music. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I really like, I really like those things when they happen, not only in, you know, in musicals, but also even in albums where, you know, something comes back and, right. uh, it, you know, that's just a really cool thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I love it. And we and in this song we get we get introduced to Gaston as well. And I'm just gonna say right off the bat, Gaston is one of my favorite characters in all of Disney. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Interesting. Why is that? Oh, he's just the machismo. The um, he's so grandiose, and he's he's just he's so. I don't know. There's this, there's this level of him where he just, he swaggers around and I'm just, I, 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 he's so funny, you know? And I think it's, it's so interesting because it's like just compose to, to the beast, you know, because here is somebody who is really set up to be Prince Charming and to has all the looks, has all the physical features you would expect for the hero to be within a Disney story. And yet he's the villain, you know? And so I think it really, um, it really is great as far as the story itself. But he is just, I don't know, he's so fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And I, I just love him as a character. And, and I think that what you're saying kind of ties in with something. I, I don't know if, if it's okay for me to jump way farther in the movie. Go ahead. Um, but I, I think that for, for me, the first time that I've noticed this, that when the fight sequence at the end and the beast is holding Gaston off of the castle. Yeah. And Gaston is begging and you see the, the beast's kind of face and everything change. And so, you know, you're seeing, of course, 
oh, you know, the beast is different. But, you know, it, it almost seems to me like in that moment, the beast sees Gaston as who he used to be, yeah. you know, handsome, but not a good person. And he has pity for him, which is why yeah. he lets him go. Wow. You know, I have not thought about that in that aspect because, I mean, I was I was thinking a lot about the Beast's motivations and his story arc and why are things like what are the rules around the curse a little bit, you know, in this in this watch through that I did to, um, last night. And it's very interesting that you pick that up in regards to, you know, the similarities between him and Gaston. Yeah. So cool. Um, I do wonder, though. The little bundle of, you know, kill that he got from hunting that LeFou is carrying around. What is that? It has antlers, but a uh, raccoon tail. Is it just a bundle of different animals? <laughs> What's going on there? I, you, I am not a very detail-oriented person, so I did not even <laughs> notice that. Oh, man. And, and LeFou is great. I like LeFou. <laughs> He's a good little, like... Um, minion, he's a good little character to work off of Gaston, you know. Yeah. So I, I like that. Um, what, what should we talk about next? Oh, here's a line I had to write down from Gaston It's about time you get your head out of those books and concentrate on something more important, <laughs> like me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so fun, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I like the, the where he takes his shoes off and she holds her nose and he's talking about like you know the six kids that they're gonna have running around the fire and just you know strapping lads like me <laughs> just this uh, this sense that he has um you know being as conceited and um self-focused and i mean again that's the beast's problem and you know too but um that he can't conceive of his dreams not also being someone else's dreams right yeah yeah that's good that's good and i and i like too i'm sorry because you mentioned him taking his boots off and he <laughs> has his feet up i love there's a little beat in that too when he first comes into the house in that scene and he stops and he looks at the mirror for a minute and he's like oh yeah doing yes. his thing to his, his tooth yeah <laughs> because <laughs> he's, he's so he's so great you know and i think that little beat there of him like i don't know if you've ever seen the movie moonstruck no i haven't nicholas cage oh dude it's such a great movie i actually i've never i had not seen it up until like when i got married and jess was like you got to watch this movie because it's like one of her family's favorites Cher and nicholas cage and there's there's a moment within it where it's a big dramatic moment and nicholas cage takes like a little you know kitchen table and he throws it to the side and then he stops for a beat and he runs his hand through his hair and then he goes on into the next thing. And it was just like reminded me a little bit of that moment watching, watching Gaston as he's like, oh, look at me. And then he's like, I'm just going to keep going. But yeah, Gaston's great. Gaston is terrible and great. So I, I guess I, you know, when I was watching it, I was thinking much broader in in themes and why we respond to them so i have a couple of those things let's do it if you want to uh talk about that so i think that one of the reasons that we respond to movies like this and not that everyone may respond to this one in the same way is because what they're doing is getting at something that 
we all desire. And so when I'm watching the, the movie, what, what I'm seeing with both Belle and the Beast is what they're looking for and what they're getting is, is that, like I was saying with, with Belle, that you know, someone would see her, someone would see past the beauty, that right. we want to be known for who we are. We want to be truly deeply known. But I think that people, all of us to a certain, you know, to a certain extent, which is why we all have secrets, we're afraid that if someone were to truly see us for who we are with all of the wrinkles, that that we're not that they're not gonna love us, that they're not gonna be our friends. Mm-hmm. And so what the beast needs and what bell needs too is to be known to see be seen who for who they are mm. and then in spite of all of those things to be loved yeah and for for them they are really in need of this that same thing and they both have the same problem yeah. for for bell it's that people can't see be, beyond her beauty and for the beast, the, you know, the added wrinkle, of course, there's things that he needs to really, you know, work out through this story. And, um, but the added difficulty is that someone is going to need to see behind the beastliness. Right. And so they both need to just be seen beyond the skin deep. Um, and so there's, there's that that, that, you know, that we're all, that I think that we're all looking for, you know, whether it's, you know, whether we're talking about romantic or just friendship, like that, you sure. know, we're looking for that. Um, but then the other, the other piece that I think that it really gets at and does it well is just this, this idea that people can really change. And oh. it, it, you still there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. You said people can really change. Yeah, so the people can really, you know, people could really change like whatever issues they've had in the past, whatever um, things that they've done, whatever mistakes they've made, even when there are catastrophic, catastrophic consequences uh, for those mistakes, like the beast that, that even despite that, that people could actually be different, that people could grow. And, um, and so we see, him growing and the, the the way in which he grows is it's through it's through love through seeing love right and through through giving and and receiving love and so um i think that that's another like really important theme that goes throughout this this idea of self-sacrificial love yeah and and so when i started watching this i i'm, I'm sorry i i'm dominating the conversation does he want to say something go go this is this is great okay so in in the beginning i'm approaching this kind of with the the perspective of you know some of the the, the maybe the feminist critiques of you know what you have here is you know as a person who has no agency and who is you know held prisoner ends up you know falling in love you know what we're talking about here is stockholm syndrome right, right. um you know this isn't really a true love story but um while i can see 
there's some validity to, um, you know, some of the difficulties with, you know, the way that the story is presented and, you know, Bell's character not really having um, the, the choice in so many things. At the, at the same time, I was able to look past that because I, th- I think that there is um, in this fantasy um, that, that sacrificial love. And it starts with Bell saying, let my father go, I'll stay. Right, right. And, and it's, you're absolutely right. And, there, and there's, there's some other things within this too that, you know, I was really thinking about. And you really, you really delve deep into that. And I love <laughs> it. Um, and I can really tell just how much you love this movie and this story based upon, based upon that. And, I, and there's, there's a lot in there to really think about and you're you're absolutely right you're absolutely right and and i would even i would add this you know and kind of i know we've kind of um, went off the rails as far as the 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 flow of the story itself and this is something i was really thinking about you know i was like okay well one could argue that you know like i i think it's either like miss mrs potts and lumiere they're talking about after bell leaves and beast admits he's like yeah i'm in love with her you know and the other the other part is like, yeah, but she needs to love him too, you know, or whatever. That was part of like the deal. And I think it's even more so that like you need you need to not only, you know, love someone else, but you need to know, you know, to some degree you are deserving of the love that they want to give. Yeah. You, you know, so he does he needs to know part of the, his transformation that he has to know is even despite his appearance and even despite who he has been in, in his past he is still worthy of being loved yeah you know and that that's part of the transformation that he needs to receive um, yeah just despite his appearance he still has human dignity right he has to kind of accept himself to some degree and it's interesting i think that even with him with love is where the the change starts to happen because the self-sacrificial love when he goes and he rescues her from the wolves and puts himself in danger and ends up getting injured, um, he just was doing that and he was right. protecting her. And it's that, that act yeah. that yeah. leads to her caring for him and his, and his transformation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, I think, you know, we, we have kind of, shadowing each other that that musical piece early on in the movie but then also in the midway point of like there's something there that wasn't there before and you get to really see their appreciation and their love grow in that scene it it definitely peaks at beauty and the beast that song that moment but i love seeing that trans the the transfer no the, the growth of that really develop within that musical piece and that song there when they're in the snow Something, something else that that I did, and I agree with you. I think that's a great moment, and also a really great song. I like the the harmonies and the way that everything goes together. But I noticed in in the moment where she goes up into the West Wing, the you know everything is just you know torn torn apart, and you know clearly he's reacting in in anger and just. Uh, breaking things so that, you know, has some sort of, um, you know, release or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it almost, 
to me, it made me dreams may come. Speaking of Robin Williams stuff, as mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier, the you know the the character has been a long time, you know, but just kind of like lost in in that world. Yeah, him is just lost in his world of chaos, but also into his kind of private sacred space it's it's not just that oh there was the rose there and she could have you know destroyed the rose it's you know what to me what it spoke to is the, the the fact that every single one of us to some extent or another builds up walls around ourselves to protect ourselves mm-hmm. and that's what he had done and why he didn't want her in that room. And so it's a it's violation his... and he, she's in his space. And I watched that and, and thought of like, what would it be like if someone could come in behind the walls that we build up to protect right. ourselves? Yeah. How violated would we, would we feel? Yeah. Um, I mean, his, his agony is, is really the word that kind of came to me, you know, because here it is, you know, his bed is just destroyed in shambles. He can't have even a picture of himself. You know what I mean? It's just like just torn asunder. And, you know, I, I'm still a little frustrated with her in that scene when she goes where basically she, she was not invited to, you know, because there, I think like there is a little violation there. And it's like, I think for the most part, we're like, we're really always, you know, we're rooting for Belle. You know, she's definitely the heroine of the story. But in this part, I was just like, come on, Belle, you weren't, you're, you weren't allowed there. You know what I mean? That part of me is yeah. like, but obviously it does, it does move the story along in a very important way, you know. But it's also incredibly, you know, human. Like one of my favorite yeah. lines ever from The Simpsons was after uh, Chief Wiggum had uh, found that Bart and uh, Ralph had gone into you know, his closet filled with all of like, you know, oh, police yeah. things and whatever. And he's like, you know, Ralph, what is your obsession with my forbidden closet of mystery? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. ma- you know, making the joke of like, of course, those are all of the things that make kids want to see, you know, a closet, yeah. mystery, forbidden, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and so. Sure. You know, I think that that's that's part of what it is with with her. Like, you know, of course you want to see what people are trying to tell you that you're not supposed to see. Yeah. Um, You um, so, Cody, um, one thing I want to talk about, I mean, we just went really deep and and really the themes of this and the the um, I don't know. There's just a a lot to really kind of delve back deep into. I want to pull back a little bit. Okay. If that's okay. Because uh, yes. I, I, I think there's more to look at there for sure. Um, but I, I kind of want to go to another character within this movie who I think I appreciated more this time on like a different level that I never really appreciated before. And that's Maurice. Um, okay. And I, I think almost for uh, comedy situations. And I'm just like watching it. And I, and I have this question for you. We were talking about Aladdin once before. Who is more inept, Maurice or the Sultan, in your opinion? You know, it's been long enough since I've watched uh, Aladdin that I I don't know if I can really answer that question. Okay. All um, right. Well, anyway. Keep, um... But, you know, with Maurice, 
still, he does get the machine working. Yes. Yeah, so there still is a level of genius there. A very dangerous machine, but yes, go on. Yes. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it is a dangerous machine, but he gets it working. And um, logs are just flying. You know, they're just launching logs, full logs at, at, peop- at, at people, at windows, at anything. You know, it could, it could really. <laughs> You know, it, he might have won that contest, it, you know, if, if he had been able to get there. Can you imagine how different this movie would be if he had just won that contest and they had made it <laughs> made it, and he had not gotten broken down and captured by the beast? <laughs> I, I, and I, I love the moment where um, he's he's with Philippe in the woods. And oh yeah, he insists on going down the real sketchy path. And Philippe, then like, where have you taken us? Ten minutes later, he's like, "Philippe, what did you do? Where have you taken us, Philippe?" And it's like totally blames Philippe, which is just cracked me up. You know, I I like Maurice. I I feel you feel for him obviously, and you know later on in the the movie with um what Gaston has is trying to do to use him, you know and and trying to marry Bell, and he's kind of a, a really sad character in a lot of ways. Yeah, you know, and I, I have to say, Bell's mom must have been a knockout because I don't know how he, you know, brought Bell into this world. Uh, you know, look up David Crosby from you know the nineteen sixties, and look up David Crosby now. Some young men are are better looking. And then time is not good to them. So, you know, you never know. Her father might have been, might have been de- decent looking in the past. When, when he was younger. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you're right. Uh, there's, there's a story there. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> um, I think, you know, some of the other fun elements to really get into within this movie. And what's interesting is that when Disney was making this, when the Disney company was making this movie, they intended it for it to come out earlier than it actually did. This this movie was held up in like pre-development for a while because they had a hard time trying to figure out how can we do this movie without it being so like right in front of your face that, you know, Stockholm Syndrome, you know what I mean? Yeah. In which we kind of mentioned before and, and their kind of answer to it was by kind of giving it the, the brave little toaster um initiative by like bringing these inanimate objects to life and having them be a part of the curse and that these were the servants to the prince who who lived there um in the castle and so you know having the additions of lumiere and and clogsworth and mrs potts was all kind of like okay we got to put something in here that's disney and fun and humorous in order to kind of distract from like what else is kind of going on here as well Interesting. And that was kind of their answer. Yeah, I, I I didn't know that, but I guess when you're when you're saying it makes sense, um, it kind of leads me to a question that I was going to ask you. Okay. Which of those side character servants is your favorite? Gosh, I go back between Lumiere and, and Cotsworth. I mean, how can you not? They're they're both so great though. I think I, I have another runner up that I I love seeing in this time for different reasons, but I think when I was younger I appreciated Lumiere more and I liked him more. But as I got older, Cosworth is definitely more my favorite. Yeah. Maybe because I relate to him more. I don't know. <laughs> what about for you? 
you know, I I think that I'm I'm right there with you. I, I I don't know if I can choose between them, and I think that the reason is because what makes them interesting as characters is the the back and forth kind mm-hmm. of um, you know just relationship that they have, where you know they obviously are you know really care about each other. Um, but at the same time, they also kind of get on each other's nerves. And so um, it reminded me of uh, a little bit, if you've seen the movie Life with Eddie Murphy and uh, Martin Lawrence. No, I've never seen that. Oh, man, it is it is so funny and so good. Life? Um, life. Sometime, sometime you and I will have to watch it. But it's, it's that same sort of, uh, you know, relationship that... Uh, you know, they are friends, yet they're always kind of bickering. Yeah, they have, they're they're really they're really put within the this movie to bring a, a real fun element, you know, and we and we see that on display, especially in with the BR guest sequence, which is just so great. Another great song, you know, yeah. um, and you get to really see the playfulness of Lumiere at the expense of Clogsworth and. I just I I I love that, and it, I I do have so many like questions and thoughts about the servants and like how many servants are there? Because there are a lot of things. There's a lot of spoons, you know. Like I don't know, like what what part of the the person is almost what in association? So when they're <laughs> when when Chip says his mustache tickles, Mama, I'm like. I have questions on what is going on there. You know, is I don't know. It's and it, it's kind of creepy and weird, and I don't know. And or the very end, there's a part where the trunk kind of, um, that when the, they're trying to attack the castle, all the the village people, not the village people like the YMCA, but the village people from you know the town. Um, and he like swallows him and then licks his lips, and I'm just like is that guy dead? Is he getting digested? What's going on there? I just have questions and thoughts, you know, which maybe is not, maybe I'm going too deep on those kinds of weird things. It's for kids, but still. Yeah. I I think I hadn't really thought about it. And I I think that maybe the answer is that the castle was under a spell. And so even though the, the, the plates and a lot of the other things have, you know, the ability to talk and all of that. Maybe they're not actually, maybe they're just the plates that have come to life because of the spell, because that is a lot of people, you know, and, <laughs> yes. e- and even, even a prince, you know, you wouldn't think that there would be that many people. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, it brings questions. I don't know. It brings questions in my mind. And <laughs> I want to know the answers. I want to know, what exactly happened here and what is the story? <laughs> Cause I need to know. Um, there's, there's another character that I do love though, that um, I never really appreciated before. And that was the wardrobe. Yeah. And there's one little shot when like the beast is looking in through his magic mirror where she's sitting on the bed with bell with her legs crossed. <laughs> and for some reason that visual of the wardrobe like with their legs crossed leaning in talking to her just made me laugh because i just never saw it before and 
it just I don't know I don't know it really stood out to me and I just I had to pause because I was just and I and I looked at and I just paused on her with that and I just couldn't I, I laughed for like a good few minutes yeah and I don't so think silly. I noticed I don't think I noticed uh the the leg crossed but <laughs> I did notice the character because I felt like there was something in the voice that I that I recognized and I didn't actually look up who who voices her but well, I, I can kind of go ahead and, and try to find that out and see what what we find but um is there any other things in regards to the castle or the the characters that is worth mentioning i, I guess at the end it's interesting you know gaston goes all the way you know falls down and you know, presumably to his death. You know, you don't don't see death in every Disney movie, but some of them you do. Right. There's there's a lot of times where you know they kind of leave it open to like maybe you could believe that they're still alive. I think you know there's water down there, so maybe we could believe that Gaston made it out. But you know, it's it might be tough to to really make a good argument there. You know, um, should we should we talk about? any more of the other songs within this? Um, we, we haven't really talked about the Beauty and the Beast song. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like I said, I love every single one of the songs just about. Um, I, I, I think that it's, I think it's catchy. I think that the, the melody is good. I don't, you know, I, I like the the version at the end as well celine dion and some guy saying yeah um, oh i think it's i think it's um michael bolton is it really michael bolton i think it might be are you checking yes okay um let's see no it's not it's tebo bryson oh Oh yeah. Well, I don't know who that is. Yeah, I don't know either. Okay, <laughs> it sounded like Michael Bolton though. I don't know why. I, I always <laughs> thought it was for some reason. Maybe you're confusing Beauty and the Beast and When a Man Loves a Woman. They're kind of probably yeah. kind of the same. It's, it's very yeah. When a <laughs> when a beast loves a woman. <laughs> yep. Um, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I really want to talk about with this because. Again, it's it's such a great movie, and all the moments really just peak. And I think you know, there's some there's some interesting um, voice actors within this movie. I think we have to talk about. I think um, and um, Angela Lansbury as Mrs. Potts is is so perfect, and I think her singing Beauty and the Beast is is just wonderful. And there, you have that that great moment with when they are dancing in that ballroom, and I think it's just such a classic disney image as as you know it's it's computer animation at this point a little bit that we get here with that sweeping shot um of where you start up at the the chandelier and it comes down and it swoops really close to them as they're dancing is so beautiful just the animation there is great and with the music i just absolutely love and with with angela lansbury singing and i almost cry during this song every time just as you know like what one one of them bends just a little bit you know and um to, i don't know there's just there's a there's a lot within this song that moves me every time i hear it yeah yeah i 
I think that, you know, I, I have the soundtrack. I bought the soundtrack so I could listen to it. I really like the, the prologue um, music and uh, yeah, something there, I, th- I think, even though we've already mentioned it, I really think that that's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Beauty and the Beast is yeah, incredibly, incredibly well, well written. And then the, the instrumental stuff, you know, though you, though you don't necessarily mm-hmm. have it jump to the surface um, when, you know, when you're watching it, because it just, it's all, I guess this, this is another uh, level to the mu- to, to the, the movie and how good it is that mm-hmm. um, the instrumental music is so good that at times it doesn't even stand out as like, no. oh, this is the instrumental music. But right. it it just creates the um you know the the feelings and helps you mm-hmm. uh get into the movie. And so it just it, it's just right where it needs to be in, you know, in supporting the story. Sometimes the music is too loud or it doesn't fit the scene and you notice right. it and it jumps out to you and it kind of pulls you out of the movie. So right. the, the, the good thing about this m- music is that it never pulls you out of the movie. Right. It, it really it enhances it. And like you said, sometimes it goes unnoticed and sometimes when it goes unnoticed is the best, yeah. you know? And I, I think the, the two things that I'm thinking about within the score that really stands out to me in this regards is again, at the very beginning of the movie, where we're getting the we're given the story about the prince turning in and into the the um the beast and we first have that shot where we see the castle and the music's almost kind of like I would say like raindrops kind of just dropping you know what I mean it's just kind of the notes the way that it's like do, 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 you know it's very beautiful and it's just very distinct as it being from Beauty and the Beast at least for me but then also the use of the score in the scene where he's revealing the library tour. I think is really beautifully composed there as every time he pulls one of the curtains and he just all the, how it's, how it hits with the, the, the beats of the flow of the, the characters on the screen is it's really well um, composed, you know? Yeah. Um, I think if there is one song that I could get rid of out of this whole bunch, cause they're all just so great. I would say it might be the mob song. Yeah, you know, and when earlier when I was saying like not every single one of the songs is great, that was what I was actually thinking of. I was thinking of that that specific song where it was just kind of like, yeah, you know, this advances the story, but it's not really um, very catchy, and yeah, it, it you know, so it kind of, and you know, I I don't want to start a war here or anything like that, but you know. I lost you. Hold on. Where'd you go? My phone, yeah, my, my phone went to sleep. I've been clicking my phone every five seconds <laughs> for the last hour and I stopped doing it. And so anyways, what I was about to say is I don't want to start a war here or anything like that. But the reason that I don't like the mob song is that it has the same character as like 98% of the songs in Les Mis, where it just kind of <laughs> sounds like, you know, someone who uh, doesn't really know anything about music just was making it up on the spot. Um, I feel like you're just, you're just, you're just coming at me just to come at me, bro. This is, I, this does not seem fair that the way that you would compare that 
you know, that song to all of Les Mis? Something's wrong with you, I'm, bro. I'm just, Come on. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it's the, it's that type of, it's less about the melody and it's more about you're just advancing the story. Right. And so it's, it's not designed. And, you know, I'm joking. I mean, I don't I'm joking about Les Mis. You know, I'm not, I'm joking about like with Les Mis, but Les Mis does have that approach a lot where it's not necessarily your classic musical. It's mostly all of these things are just sung. The dialogue is sung. And so they're not designed to be incredibly like, um, you know, focused on the melody. It's just, you know, I'm advancing the story. And I, and then I felt like that's kind of the, the function of the mob song is it's just yeah. to advance the story and not every song can be a hit. And there's, so. there's, there's something within that too, as I'm kind of thinking about that moment, because yeah, it's, it's not the strongest song, but I'm also thinking like the, the main people who are singing the, you know, the perpetrators here, are the people that we meet in that first sequence, that first song in the whole movie, you know? So you see the baker, you know, you see the... Sorry, what can was that? Me? I can hear you now. Oh, yeah. I had an alarm go off in my phone. So you, you see the coachman, you know, you see these characters that we were introduced to early on, and now they are the ones who are kind of villainous, you know? Yeah. And so I think there's something, you know, interesting within that because they're, you know, we see them and it's kind of the morning and it's bright and they're all smiling and then they become you know the antagonist to some time to some degree where you know riled up by gaston to go and kill the beast you know and, and really the beast is just like and, that moment he's just threatened by the fact that bell could love someone who is not him first of all but then it looks like how the beast looks yeah. you know? and i think that that speaks to you know, I mean, first of all, it's sad, but it's a reality how easy it is to whip people up into mobs and yeah. get them to do, you know, terrible things. But, you know, it also kind of shows each of the people in the town, you know, in a way have become a beast. Yeah. Each of them. And... um they, you know, they come and their purpose is to kill the beast no matter what. Um, so I guess that that's, you know, it's kind of an interesting perspective on, you know, on that song that, you know, look at all of these, these people who were Bell's friends and, you yeah. know, just ordinary people who now are, um, you know, doing something that's, uh, horrendous. you know, horrendous. Exactly. And, um, yeah, I have, I, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I think in the end, one of the, the, the things that's there, you know, going back to the idea of, you know, self-sacrificial love and, you know, our desire to be loved and to be seen and all of that, that, you know, the, the thing that is appealing about this with the, you know, the reality of fantasy, uh, or not the reality, but the, you know, the, the story of the fantasy that, you know, that we, we look for love and, you know, with the beast getting killed at the end, but then the love that bell and he have for each other turns out to be so real that even death is powerless over that 
that love. And, you know, as people who, uh, you know, are all one day going to die, that is our problem, that we're mortal. And so it's the, the same rescue, the same um, salvation that we need. We need salvation from death through love. Look- Listeners, can you tell that Cody is a pastor by me <laughs> as he's talking about this? Yep, yep, no, no, no mistakes here, man. No, no disagreement. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, dude. I, I tried, you know, I tried to keep that subdued. I didn't want to, uh, you know, I wasn't just like, but I do really see a lot of Christian uh, themes and connections in this, not only with, you know, resurrection and, you know, love. Uh, and being able to change and self-sacrificial love and the desire to be known and seen for who we are, but loved anyways, I think exactly. are all, you know, the essence of, of Christianity, which is, I, I think for me, one of the reasons that I do respond to this movie. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm tracking with you, man. I'm following. Um, okay. So I just, I just have a couple little random things I wanted to point out that I had in my notes. Um, before we kind of get to the end here, um, one thing that, you know, I wrote down after Jess told me the, the scene before the Beauty and the Beast scene where they're dancing um, and they're, he's getting ready and he's in the tub and he, and he gets out of the tub just soaking wet. She says, that's how I get out of the tub. I don't dry off at all. And so I just like <laughs> just drip everywhere and whatnot. So I had to mention that. She goes, that's just like you. Um, I think the wardrobe. um when it launched and landed down on top of a guy during the attack scene, which I love the attack scene of the, um, the, or the team, the scene where the, the, the appliances or the servants, they're, they're defending the home. It reminds me of like home alone to some degree and seeing all the antics there. I love that scene. It's just fun. And like, again, I have so many questions. Like the one guy, he's pulling out feathers out of the duster. What is going on there? You know, I just, I, I, I don't get it, and, I, and I'm nervous, and I'm scared. I don't like it. I think the fight scene at the end is incredible between Gaston and the Beast, and I, I, I also, I haven't mentioned on how much I just love the castle itself and how gothic it is and intriguing, and especially that rooftop scene with all the gargoyles and whatnot. I think it's just it's so awesome. The castle itself is probably my favorite castle in all of, you know, Disney's, you know, whether it's Cinderella's or whatever, this is, this is my favorite castle. And the yeah, last, it, go ahead. It, it, I was just gonna say, it's a really cool castle on the inside. And it's, you know, it just seems absolutely so huge. One of the things I like about it is that it reminds me of some of the castles in Zelda and I'm a huge Zelda fan. Yeah, you have um, a tattoo of Zelda, right? Uh, when, how many, I have to count uh, one, two, I think I just have two. Okay. Yeah, you are a big Zelda fan. I like Zelda. <laughs> I, I I'm playing Ocar- I have Ocarina of Time on my DS. I, I don't know, two DS or something. Um, so much fun. Such a great game. <clears throat> um, and then my last question is this, and this is something I've heard a couple different um, girls say. So it's not just me, but they said um, the Beast was better looking when he was a beast and not a human. <laughs> and I, I don't know what to make of that, but. Um, 
Have you heard anyone say that before? I, I have. I think I've heard that, and I can kind of, I can kind of understand why he's got some some strange features. Like the nose is kind of weird in his face, and then there's there's pieces of the face that are you know kind of like just. I, it's just strange, you know, so I, I get that. And, you know, I'm kind of a, a beastly man. I've got a, a huge beard. So um, he looks way more like Fabio to... coming out of it. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. I think I dig the beast look as well a little bit more too. I wouldn't say he's more attractive. I don't know if I could say that. <laughs> well, but... h- handsome and attractive are different things. So, <laughs> you know, the, the beast may indeed be more attractive. And, and I do have to just point out, and this kind of goes into it. I love the animation of the beast. Yeah. You know, he's, he's comical at times and really cute and sweet at times, but then foreboding and scary at different times. The animation around the character of the beast is so incredibly done. And like, there's one little comedic moment I love when he's trying, and this, I know I'm going bouncing to an earlier part, but when he's trying to get Belle to come down for dinner and she says, no, thank you. And then he signals to her, like to Lumiere and Clockworth. He's like, you know like you see this what i'm dealing with and like a little bit of a huff and i just i've i've related to that feeling and i i think it's just really funny because he's like all right fine i'm gonna do what i'm supposed to do and then immediately he's like see it didn't work out (laughs) yeah which you know i think also speaks to the to the human condition how impatient we are with just wanting everything to to be now and not have to work hard for it yeah so yeah. I looked this up because your reference to that scene. So Home Alone came out in 1990. Yes. So, you know, it could very be, very well be somehow, you know, an allusion to Home Alone. Uh, just, you know, sure. subtly, you know, because you got that staircase just like in the, in the, the McAllister's house, um, you know, when you enter... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I kind of, and I'm kind of curious if the, that was like, it's you know, a subtle nod. All the all the appliances or whatever the servants are kind of set up as traps. They're just all set up there when they walk in, and so they're unexpecting. And then all of a sudden, boom! And the trap gets sprung, and now they're fighting their lives. They're fighting for their lives against candlesticks and teapots and, and falling wardrobes from three stories up. You know, it's just it's it's so funny. You have to turn this thing into a two-parter, Peter. We're uh... well, I, I, I think we're. Do <laughs> you really uh, want to say about this movie? I think that I've probably come out, you know, to to about all the things that I had written down. So I, I was just more joking. It seems like we've. You said you try to keep it to a half an hour, and here we are on our second half an hour. <laughs> well, let's let's. Let's kind of wrap it up because honestly, I think there's there's not much else I really I have to say. And I guess my question for you, Cody, is, and I'm pretty sure I know where this is going to go, but if you were to give this kind of a star rating or or a um, you know Enchanted Rose um, rating, how how many would you give out of five? I what would, is your thought? I would say, um, let's see. 
I don't really know if I can take points off or anything. I think I would give it a five out of five uh, rating. It's a it's a fantastic animated Disney movie, and uh, I don't know if there's anything they could have done to improve it. So five out of five stars. Yeah. Cool. You know, I'm I'm right there with you. I'm gonna give it a five out of five. I loved this movie so much as a kid. Um, I don't think there is a poor note within it. Um, I think the characters are really well made. I think, again, you said it's a four-quadrant film. Um, I think the villain is fantastic. I think the romance within the movie and the arc for them is really well done. Um, You get really hysterical moments. You know, you got great music. It's it's really, I'm going to give it five out of five Enchanted Roses, you know. Um, but my next question for you, Cody, is whether or not you have seen the live action remake with Emma Watson. I have not. Okay. Are you, are you interested in watching that at some point? Are you hoping to watch it? Because it's on Disney Plus. I saw that and I've seen it a number of times. There, there's just a part of me that, you know, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I mean, and, and here's, here's why. So sometimes things are so different or so bad that they can ruin something that you love. So for instance, one of my favorite movies of all time is Indiana Jones and the Raider or in the and the uh Last Crusade. But having watched Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, going back knowing some of the things that, you know, were going to be done and uh, some of the, the, the silly, stupid comedy that was going to be in that next movie, I go back and I can kind of already see some of those things a little bit in, uh, in the, the last crusade. And I still love it and I still enjoy it, but it kind of, has taken away mm-hmm. from the magic of that movie in the same way that uh, the the prequels and do not get me talking about the Star Wars prequels because you're going to have a five-parter episode on your hands. Um, <laughs> but, Very interesting you say that. But uh, I'm just talking about five parts with just those original three. Uh, and we could have five more on the, the or not the original, one, two, and three, and five more on the next one. But uh, so with those prequels, uh, you know, episode one, ep- episode two, and episode three being so terrible and so bad, um, I've gone back and especially in The Return of the Jedi, I've enjoyed that less as well because you can kind of already see that George Lucas is turning to the dark side and trying (laughs) to have some of the, just like the 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 silliness silliness of the Ewoks. But it's not even just the Ewoks. It's just, you know, in some of the other, uh, you know, just in general, those things are there. And it's not that they were absent from uh, a new hope and uh sorry i'm gonna stop i'm gonna stop talking about this because i'm gonna go on a really long tangent so anyways (laughs) i get i I look back and those movies that were a magical part of my childhood have been ruined by or tainted yes tainted not ruined tainted by 
you know, someone trying to make more money and putting out a, a bad movie uh, or a couple of bad movies. Um, and so there's part of me that's nervous that somehow in watching this this new version with the live action that um, that it would do that same thing. I haven't watched the the live action of Lion King either because I like that movie so much. Sure. Um, so I, you know, I'm not saying I, that I, I'm I, unwilling I, to, but I'm just I'm just right. nervous. And I, I totally understand because I think you know we we've had terrible sequels and terrible remakes of things, and it's just like, oh, why did you even go there? I think. I think of like a lot of comedies that we had growing up or in the nineties and even the early two thousands. Like we, we, ha- we returned back to Zoolander, Dumb and Dumber, Anchorman, you know, and it's just like these movies are not as good as their predecessor, the original thing, you know, that, that made it so popular and so great. But I, I've often found too, I'm like, I I'm with you where it can kind of feel tainted, but I'm like, man, I can always go back and just watch the thing that I love. Um, and without it, that's, I don't know, trying to really bleed into it. And so I, I get it there. It's definitely a challenging thing, especially when it's, when it's so closely associated, you know, like when it is like a direct sequel and you can kind of see like, oh, here's George Lucas kind of going in the direction that he's going or Spielberg in a weird way with, you know, kingdom of the crystal skull. Um, so I, I'm tracking with you. I understand where you're coming from, but yeah, yeah, totally. Well, well, with that, I, I got to announce what we're going to be doing for next week's show. And what's so interesting is in time for Star Wars Day, which is going to be, you know, and by the time that this next episode is going to air um, next week, um, we're getting a new Disney Plus series, um, which is The Bad Batch, which is a spinoff of Star Wars The Clone Wars. And to get ourselves ready for that series and for that show and what it's going to when it's going to take place for next week's episode, we're going to watch Star Wars episode 3 Revenge of the Sith. And so I'm very glad Cody mentioned um the prequels because that's exactly where we're going for next week's show, friends. Um so that's something that you can watch and um get ready for because we're going to be talking all about Star Wars next week. So that's what you have to look forward to. Cody, you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I have quite a few, and now I feel uh, feel bad because I hope that uh, you're not going to be having some guest who thinks that those movies are wonderful uh, next week that uh, <laughs> that I've uh, um, just now just... said something terrible about those movies. But um... well, I think you know, Star Wars has 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 long lasted through everybody's criticisms and frustrations with through the prequels and through the the Disney era with Force Awakens through the Rise of Skywalker. So we it will it will prevail. I think it'll be okay. And the fans <laughs> will be fine too because I think the prequels have gotten enough um I don't know hatred or visceral reactions towards. So I, I'm excited. I haven't watched this movie in a very long time, and I'm excited about going back to watch it. So, yeah. So, um, Cody, thanks for coming on, man. Yes, thank you for having me. Enjoy the uh, long no <laughs> at the end of the movie. Um, well, um, I'll I'm, I'll be happy at some point. Maybe maybe in the future I'll have you on to talk about you know maybe either the phantom menace or um attack of the clones whichever one is your least favorite i'll have you on for that one 
the answer is yes. I, I, <laughs> um, I, I mean, I could do an episode even in general about the movies. We don't even have to talk about Like we don't even have to watch one of the movies. I can talk about uh, the prequels in general and what's missing from them. So it could be specific to one of those movies, or if you want, we could do a special episode about the general problems with all of those prequels. Man, I, I feel like I want to get like a debate episode going on between <laughs> you and Aaron Starry, one of our one of my frequent Star Wars guests. So that would be very interesting. Okay, I, I, I gotta sign off. We've gone very long. Um Cody again, thanks for coming on, dude. Yes, thank you for having me.